Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris. Schmitz. Welcome to it. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbel alongside Damon Bars. We're filling in for Chris Schmidt today. Chris off on the golf course defending his title, but we're happy to be here. Damon, it's been a while since I've seen you. Haven't seen you since I think you went to Chicago, correct? Yeah, that's right. Spent the, the week in Chicago with my girlfriend's family. Had a, had a fun time there. I got my hair cut, dropped about uh, five pounds after leaving the, the place. So I'm feeling good. Oh, was that your first time meeting uh, the girlfriend's family? Uh, no, I've been there a few times over the last couple okay, of years. So it, it's nice to see It wasn't them. a stressful trip then at all. <laughs> it, it was kind of stressful, but not that stressful. <laughs> well, we got some good stuff coming up today. Damon, I know we're both excited for this show. We got Mike Babcock here in about 20 minutes. Husker historian for Hale Varsity. Excited to talk with Mike. Going to get into that YouTube Tuesday game that we discussed uh, yesterday with Jim Rose, that 2 Texas A&M comeback. Coming up a little later this hour, we also have Mike Shuhart, Wilderness Ridge Golf Pro. Excited to talk a little golf with Shuey. Next hour, Brad Edwards and uh, Dr. Brandon, I believe, is in the Jock Doc segment as well next hour. You're right. Yeah, Damon shaking his head. I got that one right this time. Chris left us a little present, and that is the Jock Doc. He said that he would handle that one. He wanted to talk with Dr. Brandon this week. So we will be hearing from Chris uh, during the show. But coming up next hour again, Brad Edwards and the Jock Doc. And then at 525, we're going to have some open phone lines. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that topic of what we're going to talk about there a little later. Uh, but we're going to have some open for- phone lines at 525, encouraging you to call the show. You can do that. 402-466-3776. That's 402-466-ESPN. If you prefer using the, the numbers, makes it a little easier to remember. I get it. Uh, you can also call 1-800-825-5865. Both those numbers will work, and you can get involved with the show. You can tweet at me or at Damon. For me, at Herbal Essences, or at Damon at Damon Bar with two R's. With two R's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't going to step on your toes again there, but make sure you tweet us, or you can tweet at ESPN Lincoln at Hale Varsity. Or if you really think I'm doing a terrible job, you can send Chris an email, chris at hailvarsity.com. I'd appreciate uh, maybe some, some good words there uh, with Chris. But if not, be honest, I get it. But, <laughs> sorry, uh, Damon, I, I want to get into the, the first topic um, that I want to start with is the, the defense. I was sitting at home this morning, and that's what really scares me about this Husker team is the defense. They're losing some some key members of that front seven. The offense, I know. Uh, you just lost J.D. Spielman, and that's concerning. But you have some great talent coming in, and we've seen Adrian Martinez play well. I think he can get back there. Will he this year? I, I sure hope so. Uh, but I guess we're not going to know until the time comes. But for the defense, there's so many unknowns. So what I was doing this morning was I went and I looked back at the past, let's see, 11 Nebraska defenses. We're going back to the 2009 season when Nebraska – lost to the Big 12 championship to Texas, but had a dominant defensive performance. And what I was thinking was, 
are there any stats that indicate that this is a good defense? Is there one stat you can look at to go, oh, like, this team played great. Look, they're number one in the league in interceptions, whatever. I mean, I was thinking back to the Broncos back in Super Bowl 50. They had that dominant pass rush, uh, which kind of gave Cam Newton fits all through the Super Bowl and, and won the Broncos that Super Bowl. Or you go back to the Giants uh, of yesteryear a little bit, uh, whenever they went up against the Patriots in their undefeated season, they had Michael Strahan on that front three. I remember they'd bring three guys up front and still get pressure on Tom Brady in that game. It's one of the things that that swung the diff- or swung things in favor of the Giants in that game was the incredible pass rush they could get with three or four guys. So that's where I started. I looked at the past 10 years, 11 years if you want to be exact, to see does the number of sacks the Huskers get in a season correspond with being a better defense. So we're going to start off in 2009. This is the Indomitian Sioux team that dominant defense finished number one nationally. Uh, And they had 44 sacks that year as a team. 44. Uh, That's the most of any... um, 2013 was close. They had 39 sacks. Remember that team with Jason Ankara and Randy Gregory? Also a very good team. They had 39, but they weren't even close in team defense. They were number 50 in the country, and they were number 6 in the Big Ten. So, is sacks an accurate way to describe it? We don't know yet. That's just one. The sample size is small. But last year, the Huskers had 27 sacks, good for 67th in the country. Uh, The team defense, that is, 67th in the country. The year before that, 25 sacks, uh, which... The Huskers were number 88 in the country defensively that season. If you go back to 2017, they actually had more sacks than Scott Frost's first year. That was the year Nebraska uh, finished 116th in the nation in total defense. They had 26 sacks that year. So, after looking through all this, I thought, well, maybe this isn't the best way to figure out if you have a good defense. Maybe it's not the number of sacks. I think having a good pass rush helps, but it's not the buy-all end-all. I mean, the Huskers led the Big Ten in sacks in 2013 and they still had the sixth best defense in the Big Ten during that time. So, so it's like a little little sprinkles on it's like the cherry on top. It's a cherry a on top is. of a good defense. Yeah, I think after reading through this, the teams that had more sacks obviously had good pass rush, but they had really good players in the secondary. That 2013 team had Siante Evans and Josh Mitchell back there, and it was those guys who were able to cover which would give the defense time to get to the quarterback. So the pass rush wasn't a hundred percent indicative. Um, so the next thing I moved on to was rushing defense because what have the Huskers been terrible at since they've joined the Big Ten? Rushing defense. Stopping the run. I mean, since the Huskers have joined the Big Ten Conference, they have not been in the top five of total defense once. Uh, I mean, if you want me to go through the list, in 2011, they were seventh. In 2012, they were ninth. In 2013, they were sixth. That's their highest finish in total defense. Total defense was 2013. Uh, in 2014, they were ninth. In 2015, 10th. In 2016, they were 7th. In 2017, uh, they were 13th. That was Mike Riley's last year, also the one year under Bob Diaco. In 2018, they were 12th. And then in 2019, they were 11th. So Nebraska's been outside the top 10 for the past three years. And they've been outside the top 10 in four of the past five uh, years in total defense, which is embarrassing. And when you look at how many yards per game they're allowing on the ground, it starts to make sense. Uh, whenever Nebraska was the number one team uh, defense in the country, I guess I should say, they allowed 93.1 yards rushing per game. 93.1, under 100. Uh, for reference, when you look across the past 10 years, uh, usually five, six teams in the whole country average uh, allowing less than 100 yards rushing per game. Uh, and those teams tend to all be in the top 10 of the, uh, the top defenses in the country. Uh, I mean, last year there were five teams uh, that held 
all are that held their opponents to an average of less than 100 yards rushing per game, and four of them were in the top 10 in terms of rushing defense. In 2010, uh, Nebraska gave up 153 yards per game. Uh, on, that's only on the ground. Let's, let me make that clear. Only on the ground. In 2011, 158 yards on the ground. This is when we joined the Big Ten. 158 yards on the ground. In 2012, 192 yards per game on the ground. In 2013, 156 yards per game on the ground. In 2014, 177 yards per game on the ground. So then enter Mike Riley. Mike Riley's first season, it looks like there's encouragement here. 109 yards per game on the ground only. But teams averaged 40 passing attempts per game against that defense, and they threw the ball for an average of 290 yards per game. So the Huskers were still giving up just about 400 yards a game. So they decided to shore up the pass defense, and then there's 148 yards per game rushing in 2016. And then in 2017, Mike Riley's last year, uh, 216 yards per game on the ground. And Scott Frost's first two years, it's gotten a little bit better, not really. 195 yards per game on the ground, 188 yards per game on the ground in the past two years, respectively. So what you're, you're saying is that in order for Nebraska to sort of climb the ranks in terms of defense, we really need to focus on the run game first. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and you're so used to people like, oh, we need to focus on the run game, but you hear that on the offensive end, right? Yeah. Run the damn ball. Yeah, you hear that on offense. You never hear that about the defense, really. Yeah, can we have the new mantra, stop the damn run, maybe? Instead of run the damn ball, stop the damn run. It's, it's, it's like... When I was looking through these stats this morning, I was literally in shock at how big these numbers are. Because you look at other teams in the Big Ten, and uh, within since Mike Riley was hired at Nebraska, uh, Nebraska has been in the bottom three uh, in yards per game, except that 2015 season. Uh, but they've been in the bottom three every year since in terms of rushing yards per game allowed. I mean, they've held the their opponents to under 150 yards per game uh, let's see, twice since 2010, and one of those they were allowing 290 yards passing per game, so it didn't matter. It's pretty incredible how just inept Nebraska has been at stopping the run, and I think whenever you're watching the game on Saturday, it's it's evident. Well, they, they just run through us, it feels like. And whenever you can run the ball through a team, it's... That's a recipe for success. Because <laughs> then that opens up the play action, that opens up your entire passing game. So I went through and I looked at the top defenses in the Big Ten over the past 10 years, the same time frame, and I asked myself, what do these teams do different? And it's interesting because you look at the Big Ten offenses through the past 10 years and you can see how much they've changed. You can go back and watch a 2012 Nebraska game and say, wow, I miss when teams ran the ball that much on us because now they throw it and run it on us. But... When you go back and look at those, the teams that have success are the teams that are able to stop one aspect of another team's offense really well. Generally, it's been the rush. Generally, the teams that are the best defenses in the Big Ten can hold their opponents to around 100 yards rushing per game. That's your formula for success in the Big Ten. I mean, when Scott Frost got hired, the formula was kind of 85 Bears-esque. Get the ball back. Pick the ball off. Recover some fumbles. Get the ball back for the offense. The best Offense or so the, the best defense is your ball or the ball being on offense. So I, I looked at that in the Big Ten. Does that matter? I mean, if you go back and look at the stats, no. The, the teams that have two turnovers uh, or, or taking the ball away two times a game can be at the bottom of the Big Ten. And the teams that only take the ball away, you know, one time a game, one and a half times on average per game they can still be at the top of the Big Ten. It really comes down to who can make the other team one-dimensional. So I think the key for Nebraska this next season, if you're looking for defensive development, it's a team that, 
I mean, they don't have to be stifling run defense, but they need to be allowing less than 150 yards rushing per game on average. I mean, 188 yards per game and 195 yards per game rushing in Scott Frost's first two years is unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. Yeah, I feel like it really boils down to a, a successful defense is one that it changes the other team's offense. You shouldn't, if you want to be good on defense, you can't be scared and not know what the offense is going to do. You have to force them to do what you want them to do, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and mean, we, we talked about that with Charlie McBride, I think about two weeks ago, where he said that's what Nebraska prided themselves on, was they stopped the run and they made their team throw the ball. And it works pretty well. There's a couple of notable examples where that didn't work out so well. Um, I think back to Miami. Uh, which year was that? 1980? Uh, I don't want to mess it up because I don't want Husker fans to yell at me. Um, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It doesn't always work out. But it's a good first step whenever Nebraska has just been demolished in both passing and rushing over the past couple of years. That's the first step is can Nebraska stop one phase of another team's offense really well? I don't think Nebraska to be dominant has to stop the pass and the rush from the teams they're playing, but they need to be able to stop one. They need to be able to stop one well because then the offense can score enough points to, uh, to you know, get the win. That's all I got. Sorry, sorry for the rant there. I was just, I was in shock looking at those stats this morning and I had to get that off my chest. But I want to move on to the next topic of the day, and that's baseball. That's baseball because reports came out today. This is from John Heyman. John Heyman is an insider at MLB Network. He also works at uh, WFAN in New York City. He's been, uh, I believe he used to work at Chicago or for the Chicago Cubs, all over baseball. He tweeted today that the MLB and Players Union are closing in on agreement to play the 2020 season. This is from Players. We're so used to hearing stuff coming away from the owner's side. This is from the player's side. They're closing in on agreement to play baseball in 2020. The deal... From, or from the players, the deal is expected to be for prorated play, pay, excuse me, meaning that they'll get their payback later, and include expanded playoffs. So a smaller regular season, more teams maybe getting into the playoffs, a longer playoffs, um, and that's their solution, I guess, to the, the lesser games, oh, who's going to make it in the playoffs. But I had a second tweet that says, and will be Commissioner Rob Manfred and... Players Union Chief Tony Clark had a productive meeting face-to-face today in Arizona, and that's what this is stemming from. So apparently Manfred, after two days ago saying he was not confident that there would be a season, has now flown down to Arizona to meet with Tony Clark. They had a productive meeting today. It sounds like we're getting closer to baseball. Damon, does that make you happy or no? I'm conflicted at this point because there's so much else to be kind of excited for at the time that baseball's kind of lost its opportunity to be the the shining star for the summer I think like now all I'm thinking about is football and it's the middle of June and we're almost into July baseball should be halfway through right now I I really honestly I won't watch either way if if there's baseball um, I'm probably not going to watch it if there's not oh well that's kind of how I feel too I'm a baseball fan I mean, I've been umpiring baseball for past six years, probably. I've been umpiring baseball. I love going to the fields. I love watching baseball. I love going down to Haymarket Park watching the Huskers. I try to make it out to a Rockies game every once in a while when I can, when I can afford it. But what's the point of having a season with only 48 games where that true champion might not even make it into the playoffs? If, if they start out cold, I mean, you're going to have to have another month here of players getting ready for the season. Some guys are going to come in out of shape. The teams aren't going to be as good as they should be. Or you're going to have surprise teams that shouldn't make the playoffs that are going to make the playoffs this season. They're going to throw everything off. It's not a real season in my book. You're going to have pitchers pitching, what, like 
maybe 10 games in the entire season. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, 48 games, half of those are going to have to be against the teams in your division. You're not going to play most of the teams in the majors. What's the point? Wrap it up. I know the players need to get paid. The owners don't want to pay them. That's where it comes from. They want the smallest season possible. Well, what's the point of having 48 games? I keep on coming back to this. There's absolutely no point in my book to have an MLB season with only 48 games because I'm not going to watch. There's other sports I can watch. The UFC's done a great job of, uh, of having live sports through quarantine. Soccer's already back in Europe. Esports has been going all through quarantine. There's other things that have replaced baseball that have kept me entertained. This, if this summer's taught me anything, it's that I don't need baseball to enjoy my summer. Sorry, Major League, but like I don't need you anymore. That's what this summer's taught me. Y- you made the mistake there. We'll talk a little bit more about this next hour. Um, coming up next, though, Mike Babcock, Husker Historian, a little later, Mike Schuhart. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Keep it tuned in. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And we're back. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio? On Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Yes! That's awesome! Back in, it's Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbal alongside Damon Bars. We are filling in for Chris Schmidt for the day. Schmidty off defending his title at which golf tournament was this? I don't know. Some, some media golf tournament. Yeah, him and Jay Moore off defending the title. I, I texted him about an hour ago asking how he was doing, and he said, uh, about par. And uh, I said, are you going to defend the title? And he says, not looking good. I'm not sure how many vodka waters he's in on the course, but crossing the fingers for Chris. Excited, though, to talk with Mike Babcock here now. Mike Babcock, Husker historian and writer for Hale Varsity Magazine. Mike, did you get a chance to listen to the YouTube Tuesday segment yesterday? We we talked with Jim Rose about the 0-2 A&M game. I want to get your memories on that game. Oh, you know what? I've got uh, I have a poor memory, and I, I didn't hear what the discussion was. So, uh, the 0-2 A&M game, it was uh, – the Huskers were in those awful jerseys, if you remember. The 2002, they had the, the bad uniforms for one season with the big, thick stripe down the side. They're playing down in College Station. Nebraska's down about 17 points, and they come all the way back to win. Jamal Lord was uh, leading the team rushing in the second half. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I, I do remember the, uh, the, the, the uh, uniforms and, and the flap about that. And I, and, and I want to say something about Jamal Lord because I really think that uh, he gets dismissed a lot of times uh, for his play at quarterback. You know, he what he did I thought was uh, pretty significant uh, during his time as as quarterback um, because following Eric Crouch was not an easy thing, and you were always going to get compared to well, Eric Crouch won the Heisman Trophy, and you know Eric Crouch did this and Eric Crouch did that. And Jamal Lord was, I think, a really solid quarterback. Um, whenever we talk about the you know really good quarterbacks that Nebraska's had, um, I certainly don't. You know, you've got Tommy Fraser and you got Eric Crouch and you got Steve Taylor and Turner Gill. I mean, there's there's and Jerry Taggy. There's that group. But but then the next uh, group of guys that you discuss, I think Jamal Lord has to be one of those guys. And you're talking about a game where he showed that, but I, he, he was consistently like that. You know, he he was an outstanding running quarterback, which was exactly what that offense required. And uh, you know, I, I think he would have been an All-American safety if if uh, 
uh, if he'd have played defense. You know, he played a little bit of that in the uh, after Nebraska, and, but uh, uh, I just think that he he's often overlooked uh, for what he was able to accomplish. I, you know, I just think he was a really good quarterback. Uh, it, it's ironic because when he was recruited, um, you know, uh, Carl Crawford was also recruited out of Texas, and Carl signed Major League Baseball contract and had a Major League Baseball career. Um, had Carl Crawford come here, um, I'm not so sure but what uh, Jamal might have ended up at uh, at safety. And like I said, I think he would have been an All-American safety uh, if he'd have played that four years at Nebraska. But, uh, you know, as a quarterback, I thought he did an outstanding job. And uh, I just think he gets overlooked. And you're talking about one game. Um, he had uh, several games where, um, you know, he was uh, he was a big reason why Nebraska had uh, uh, what success that it did. Mike, I think people really remember two things from that Husker season. Uh, one, I think that stands out was an early season loss at Penn State uh, at Beaver Stadium. Nebraska gets blows out gets blown out forty to seven. But the other aspect people remember from that game is just the awful uniforms the Huskers were wearing. They had the big stripe down the side. Yeah. I mean, what was was Adidas thinking in making those uniforms, and where do those rank on the worst Husker uniform combos ever? Well, you know, I think that there there might have been a player vote or something. I mean, the players may have had some input into that. Um, and, and you know, I'm old school. I'm a traditionalist, so I didn't I didn't care to see a whole dramatic change in the uniforms anyway. But uh, you know, that was part of it. I think that there was kind of a, a you know players. Uh, Agreed with it that they wanted some kind of a change, and that's what they that's what they came up with. Yeah, that and and that Penn State uh, loss, which I remember a little little bit better, um, just because of how dramatic it was. I think wasn't Nebraska was ranked uh, going into that game, or at least there were uh, fairly high expectations yeah, for that. Yeah. That was the shocking thing: was Nebraska was number eight in the country, traveling on the road to an unranked Penn State team, and Penn State beats them forty to seven. Yeah, yeah, just just went off the went off the cliff. I'm trying to think. Uh, there was a former Husker that uh, had gone to the game or something, and had gone out there for the game, and it was so bad. I can't remember whether he left and went back to his uh, motel and watched the rest of it on a on a TV set, or what what the deal was with that. That was just a that was a disaster of a game, and then. Uh, Penn State fans were not very gracious in a lopsided victory, and I don't think there was some concern after the game as we were leaving. We kind of got uh, sidetracked and ended up going through the main part of uh, State College or University Park or whatever whatever it is, and uh, and uh, it was a little bit concerning there that the, we didn't have a Pennsylvania uh, car, but we had, dri- we had driven out there and... Uh, yeah, it was not. That was not a not conducive to comfort there uh, the whole way from beginning to end. And that game was just a, a shocker because, like you said, I I didn't remember where the ranking was, but I knew Nebraska had high aspirations and and belief that uh, there were going to be good things that had happened because of what had happened in 2001, the carryover. Um, and uh, boy, it just uh, it just went off the tracks there. Yeah, it's weird that back then people weren't used to Nebraska losing by 30 on the road to a Big Ten team. But that's yeah. almost become normal now, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that that's the thing that uh, you know, people weren't used to that at that, and and uh, you know again you would you would have the uh, 2001 was was kind of the I always look at that as kind of the tipping point. You know, um, you had the uh, 2001. You had the the big game against Oklahoma, right? Uh, uh, where it was. Uh, Two teams ranked near the top. I can't remember exactly where. Uh, and then Nebraska won that game. But then uh, somehow Nebraska got the, got the opportunity to play in the Rose Bowl because even though it didn't win the conference championship, it I forget how that how all that worked, right? But but Nebraska got hammered by Colorado in the last game of the season. And then uh, you still thought coming back from that, uh, going into 2002, things were going to be back to where they were, and uh, they weren't that way. But uh, yeah, there was that was a tough stretch there, and that kind of signaled the, uh, the beginning of the end as as Nebraska being consistently uh, nationally relevant. Mike, I think one of the steps for Nebraska to get back to national relevancy, we hit on this in the first segment, is to get that defense back where it can shut down one phase of an offense's game. Um, but I saw something today um, from an age when Nebraska could do that consistently, and that's Baron Miles. And uh, his son, Baron Miles Jr., committed to Nebraska as a walk-on. And uh, you said that Baron Miles is one of your favorite players through those mid-'90s teams. Do you have any good memories of him? Yes, yes, I do, and and uh, as somebody pointed out on Twitter, you know he he blocked kicks, and I, the, the one I remember most was uh, in Osborne's 200th coaching victory. Um, I believe it was at Stillwater. Uh, he blocked a punt, returned it, and, and it was a close game to that point. And it ended up being two touchdowns, I think, in Nebraska's favor. But uh, his blocked punt, and he took it in for a touchdown. He two yards right by the end zone when he blocked it. Uh, that's the one I remember most, but yeah, he was a he was really a, an outstanding player, and he was he, he was listed at five foot eight, but uh, he played much much uh, taller than that. He was just a, a very uh, uh, competitive guy out there, and you know I think a lot of times he gets overlooked too, uh, but I but I would rank him among the best cornerbacks uh, uh, that uh, that have played in Nebraska. Well, when, when you look at those defenses as a whole, what they could do was that they could stop one phase. That's what they prided themselves on. They were great at stopping the run. Um, and then you look at the, the 20, 2009 Husker defense, which is probably the last great Husker defense. They did finish the season uh, number one in total defense, only allowing 93 rushing yards per game. And we talked about that first segment. But whenever you're comparing those, it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges, that 2009 defense to the 90s defenses, but where do you think those teams rank among the best defenses of all time? Well, you know, the 2009 defense uh, kind of helped to have Indomitian too, and uh, maybe a little bit. Know, Jared, Jared Crick, that's that's a pretty good combination there, but uh, uh, you know, that, that was a really a, an outstanding defense. Uh, and, and and maybe it, it didn't quite have all the other pieces to go with it that uh, that you would talk about when you talk about some of those uh, defenses that uh, uh, you know it's interesting Nebraska didn't have a real strong statistically defense uh, in '83 with the scoring explosion team, but the year after that when the scoring explosion guys were gone, 
the defense ranked number one in the country, total defense. Or uh, there was a season when Nebraska went 6-4, and four, 1967, going clear back, uh, where Nebraska was 6-4 and four and led the nation in total defense. You know, had a really uh, had an outstanding defense, anchored by uh, Wayne Malin, who finished ninth in voting for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, you don't think of when you think of uh, great defensive linemen now, and you know, and it's been a long time ago, so it's, it's history. But uh, you know, Wayne Malin was an outstanding player, uh, ninth in voting for the Heisman Trophy in, in 1967. That's pretty remarkable on a team that finished six and four, uh, but led the nation in. in defense so you know you have to kind of put it in context obviously you've got pretty good defenses if you're going national championships you can't you don't do that without defense tom osborne said that's how you win is with defense defense first that's the important thing and charlie mcbride had some some really outstanding defenses tough to say which one was the best but uh you know you got to be able and you guys were talking about this earlier in the show, uh, in, in the Big Ten, Nebraska, you've got to be able to stop the run. You've got to be able to stop the run. That's the first and foremost thing. And I, I think that was always that's always been Nebraska's philosophy when it's been successful, is you got to stop the run first, and then uh, and then be concerned about the pass. And and uh, I think Nebraska has has found that out. Hopefully. Uh, being in the Big Ten uh, and maybe hadn't done a very good job of that, because you got to be able to stop the running game. Husker historian Mike Babcock is here with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Mike, I appreciate the time. Have a lovely Wednesday, all right? Hey, be safe. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you as well. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a Wednesday here on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbel alongside Damon Barr filling in for Chris, as Chris is out on the golf course today defending his title from last year alongside uh, Jay Moore. Excited to head out to the golf course again now as we welcome in Mike Shuhart, Wilderness Ridge Golf Pro. Shuey, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome, you guys. Well, doing pretty well. I, I wanted to ask you, just to start things off, uh, about the tournament list past weekend. PGA's back started up. Daniel Berger winning in the playoff. you get a chance to watch this weekend? I watched just a little bit of it. Not much, but what I saw it was pretty exciting. I mean, those guys, some of them looked a little bit rusty still. Um, we're going to see how rusty Chris is after his, uh, his time in the golf course today. Do you think Chris shoots over par today or below par? That, that's a no-brainer. Definitely over par. Okay. So he's defending a title. I didn't know that dude ever had any golf titles ever. Well, I think he gets carried by his teammates. Jay Moore is a very good golfer from, uh, from all accounts. Very, yeah, he is very good. So, so it, uh, it definitely can't can, be Chris carrying the team. No. Maybe he can contribute a few times, hopefully, today. Yeah, I didn't ask if it was a scramble or what, but, I mean, you, you can't think that, that this team – I mean, Chris is a funny guy. Maybe that's why he's on the team. <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> Maybe he's a, he can he carries the liquid courage well. <laughs> <laughs> Should we PJ's heading down to South Carolina this weekend? Maybe it's uh, it's time for me to get back into the sports betting. Looking at this one, who do you like this weekend? I don't know much about this golf course. Uh, super tight. It's one of the shorter golf courses on the on the tour, but it's super tight. I mean, you have to have total command of your game. You have to be able to hit every single shot from highs to lows to draws to cuts, um, really small greens. 
So it's uh, guys that traditionally win there, that play well there, are, are super consistent ball strikers. Um, Matt Kuchar plays well there. So look for a guy that's not the longest, but super accurate um, because they always have a tendency to play pretty well there. Your long bombers, they usually don't play there very well. Golf course is just too tight, man. It's too, way too demanding. So, Mike, if you had my $50, you take $50 out of my pocket, and I say, hey, put this down on three golfers who you think could stand a chance this weekend. Who, who do you think? Uh, Kuchar's always a good bet there. Um, he's kind of from a little down in that area. He played golf at Georgia Tech. Um, so he's always a good bet. Um, uh, I want to say Jordan Spieth, but he's not quite there. He's showing signs. You know, he's still a little bit wild off the tee. Um, and uh, who would my third be? I'll take Jordan Spieth, though. Okay. Uh, Rose. Uh, I'll take Justin Rose. Okay. Okay, there's three. So we got Spieth, we got Rose, and we got Kucher. You said Kucher? Those are the three? Those are my three. Yeah. We'll see if, if you're right this weekend. Uh, I'll give you like $5 right. of the money I make or something like that. Beautiful. That's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, uh, before we ask what's going on at Wilderness Ridge this weekend, we have a theme of the day. So far, we have been talking about Husker defenses, which the best have been. But I, I want to change... Uh, change topics just a little bit because next hour we want to have callers. We want to tell them who could replace baseball if baseball like falls out of those top four big sports. Uh, you could make a good argument for PGA. PGA has got a lot of fans here in America. Do you think that PGA could overtake the MLB as one of the big four sports in America? I think so, definitely. I mean, just what I've seen this year, you know, the activity that's going on, more people playing golf, uh, getting on the golf course because basically is about the only thing going being the first sports event coming back. People are hungry to watch sports, any kind of sports and golf was the first one to come back. Um, and they, they did a really nice job with the match that they played a month ago. That was received really well. Now you have uh, the first kind of major sport being played, being golf with a, they had a studded field. We had 16 of the top 20 players in the world playing in the event. Um, a lot of publicity there. So I could definitely see that um, being taking that spot, especially if they don't play. Well, will you be watching baseball if they do come back, though? No. Uh, that's, that, not, that's been what, what we I – mean, Damon said the same thing. I said the same thing. I don't think there's any point in watching a 48-game season. Not, not much. I'm not a huge baseball fan. I like watching sports in general, period. But uh, I don't, you know – uh, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't watch it. I'll watch some games here or there, but probably not as intently as maybe I would have in the past. Okay, Mike, uh, we've got a couple of minutes here before we got to let you go, about two minutes. So what's going on at Wilderness Ridge this week? Is it Fit Friday this weekend again? We have a Fit Friday going on this weekend. Uh, we're, fit, we're right in the middle. We're on hump day of our junior camp, which has been super fun, super successful, a bunch of kids. Got a bunch of different stations that we run them through, so we're right in the middle of that. Um, so a lot of a lot of our junior stuff, camps going on, fittings, uh, a lot of teaching, a lot of people playing golf. So that's a good thing. As the city moves into the, the phase three of the the COVID nineteen restart, does that change anything out there for you at Wilderness Ridge? No, not really. I mean, it, it just makes you know probably not because our, our, all the things that we've done, you know, as far as with the pandemic and 
and some of the practices. We're going to actually continue a lot of those practices as just a general practice. Um, so not much is going to change, um, which is a good thing. You know, it's 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 been crazy busy as it is. So uh, I hope things stay like they have been and continue all summer. Mike, be good. Enjoy the weather out at Wilderness Ridge before the rain rolls through this weekend, all right? All right, I'll do it. Thanks for having me on. All right, stay safe, Mike. Good stuff there from Mike. And, I mean, that's the theme I've been hearing from just about everyone is no one wants to watch 48 games of baseball this upcoming season. Damon, you're with me, right? Yeah, I'm with you. It just seems pointless. It just seems pointless. But I am missing College World Series this week. That is one thing that just I wish I was up in Omaha getting a couple of those games in because it's always fun. Uh, that's one of the things that, that can't be replaced this summer. But everything else, the, the feeling of just watching sports, baseball, it, it can be replaced. The MLB needs to realize they're not that important. <laughs> Before we, uh, before we go this hour, just a quick reminder that if you're looking to make a move in 2019, you need to give the real estate professionals at West Blue Realty a call today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities, and they will help make your next move a smooth one. For a limited time only, mention Hale Varsity and West Blue Realty will provide you up to $1,000 upon the purchase of your uh, next home. Or if you're looking to sell agricultural land, they have an auctioneer and can handle anything from live auctions, sealed bids, general land listings. They have a lot of experience selling agricultural land. So land in Lancaster County, Odo, and Seward, that's just this year alone, and they can handle a large radius. Uh, Highly experienced agents and competitive commissions, full service experiences. That's West Blue Realty, located at 1120 K Street, Suite 200, or westbluerealty.com. Got to give my friends Tom Luby or Kelly Hofschneider a call today. Just remember, it pays to work with West Blue, and you got to ask yourself, what can West Blue do for you? Damon, you making a move anytime soon? Uh, I'm actually thinking about it, yeah. After college, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to land so I'm actually really excited. The whole like looking on uh, the app for like houses and stuff, it, it gives me, it, it, it just really excites me looking at houses, not going to lie. And okay, what's nice is I don't actually have a home of myself, um, but the guy who I rent it from has said, hey, just take care of it like it's your own and I'll give you cheap rent. So I'm out there doing the lawn work and it brings me a satisfaction. There's a nice thing, just a nice feeling of taking care of your house, making it look nice. I don't think I'm crazy there. It's it's nice to have your own place, a place to call your own. If you're looking for a place to call your own, give the real estate professionals over at West Blue Realty a call today. Going to be wrapping up an hour one after this. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. Rolling through a hump day here on Hale Varsity Radio. It's Elijah Herbal alongside Damon Barr and you. As uh, Damon and I are filling in for Chris today, remember, you can call the show 402-466-3776. 402-466-ESPN. If you prefer the numbers or the letters, up to you. 1-800-825-5865. That's for our listeners across the state. Damon, this is the the topic that we're getting into next hour. We kind of touched on it a little bit with Mike, and, and that's if baseball falls out of popularity in the United States. It looks unlikely. I'll admit, right now, baseball uh, across most polls is uh, about the number two most popular sport in the United States, only behind football. You got uh, the NBA and the NHL behind the MLB and the NFL, but generally, that's how most polls, most studies tend to come out. Baseball is still the most second popular sport in America, but, I mean, the events of this summer, it's losing steam. I mean, and then you have the whole issue with all the PEDs through the 90s. That drove some people away from the game. 
Uh, I mean, think back to the strike back in 1994, and you had to have that 1988, 1998, excuse me, home run chase bring people back to the sport. So, if baseball does in fact lose steam this summer, which I think is is likely, if they don't get the season done, even if you play 48 games, you're driving people away. People, I mean, baseball's fun whenever you go, but I don't want to sit and watch 182 games at home. That's not what I'm going to do. So what sport could come up and fill that gap of baseball? I think baseball is a really interesting one because there are so many games in a season that it's a game that more people go to than they die hard watch on TV, right? Mm -hmm. So something that has a lot of events you can go to might work. I don't know if MLS will ever surpass that because soccer, it's just not as important to American culture as the other sports are. Mm -hmm. Um I wonder if in the next 10 years, do esports become more mainstream in this country? I don't I don't know if they become enough, but there's like the NBA 2K League that's actually affiliated with the NBA. So maybe we might start to see more esport coverage on maybe ESPN or maybe it'll climb the ranks. Who Wait, knows? You make a good point. because one of the things you said was that baseball's on every single day for four months, five months. I mean, if you count postseason baseball, it's even more than that. So what sport can even match that through the summer months? Esports might be the only option. Even esports, when you look at it right now, it's, it's, it's laughable to think, oh, esports could be as big as the MLB. But I mean, as a Husker fan, did you sit at home and watch a virtual spring game? I sure did. That's the thing is you did sit there and watch that virtual spring game, no matter how stupid you thought it might have been. I mean, there's esports that are going on every single day. And I know as the older generation, it can seem crazy. But look at the 12 to 13 year old kids today. They're sitting at home watching Fortnite streams, Call of Duty streams. They're, they're watching their favorite gamers play these games. That's how they spend their time. They'll even go send their money to these guys who are streaming because they appreciate the content they're putting out so much. So while the idea seems laughable, um, could streaming get up to the point of, I mean, the things you see, you watch all the League of Legends tournaments, and I don't think that's a good comparison for what it could be to the country. Yeah, that's probably not the best comparison, I would say. That's a really unique kind of thing that popped out of esports. And I feel like people view esports as a whole. They don't, nobody really like knows all the different games they would want to watch or something like that. So it'd be really hard to get a mainstream sort of audience, I think. Mm -hmm. Another good option you have here UFC. UFC has been rising. I I love UFC, but UFC has been rising in popularity through recent years. Um, And you see how many events they put on. They put on an event just about a weekend. That's not every single day. They do have a lot of UFC fights, a lot of weight classes, a lot of different people you can watch. Is that an option? We want to hear from you. Phone line is going to be open at 525 after we talk to Brad Edwards. It's going to be at 525. We want to hear from you. Is baseball going to fall off? And if it does, what is going to come up and take its place? It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome back. It's Hour 2 Hail Varsity Radio. If you haven't figured out by now, this is not Chris Schmidt. It's Elijah Herbal filling in for Chris on the show today alongside Damon Barr. Just a reminder that our phone line is going to be open here in about 20 minutes. If you've got any thoughts on what sport do you think could make a rise and surpass baseball if there's no baseball season here in 2020? 
That is the question we want you to mull on, but we're excited to welcome in ESPN college football insider Brad Edwards now. Brad, it's been a busy week for college football. Um, how you doing right now? Uh, I'm doing all right, but uh, yeah, you're correct. There's a Seems to be stuff that's that's developing every day. A lot of it off the field, and then a little bit of, of news sprinkled in with uh, a kind of advancing toward on the field with uh, with with programs getting guys on campus and uh, having to take care of uh, you know positive COVID tests and all that stuff. So it, it it still feels like we're moving in that direction where the season could actually start as scheduled. Brad, yeah, we've had those two big developments on the racial issues in this country and how they affect college sports, specifically college football. The first is at Iowa. This We talked with you a little bit last week, but we've learned since then Chris Doyle has now been let go as Iowa's strength coach. Probably doesn't come as a surprise to most, um, but do you have any quick reaction to that? No, other than I, I think this is going to be um, the new norm, which is that um, – there are some things that previously were accepted. And I think a lot of people just looked at it as, you know, that's just the way it is. And so you just dealt with it and, uh, and moving forward, you know, I, I, I think there's going to be a, a much lower level of tolerance for uh, certain behaviors and, uh, and, and certain things that uh, people might say certain attitudes and um, yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, better get ready to uh, to to not only change themselves in a lot of ways uh, if they haven't already done so, but but you know expect to see change around them. And I think that's just an example of this. I mean, by all accounts, Chris Doyle was a, a good strength coach at Iowa. He got his guys motivated, got them uh, in the weight room. We've learned now he may have used some some wrong motivations and been in the wrong uh, at that time. But he is considered a top strength coach do you think that he is going to find a job in college football in the near future or do you think that this is a, a, too bad for him yeah I, I think that's that's a good question I, I don't know you know I, I'm, I'm not sure you know we've we've seen um you know with with certain things where you know guys if they're good at what they do they're able to get back on their feet after you know sitting out for a year or two and uh and you know, and, and get right back in the, in the business as usual. And then there are other things that you, you see where, you know, people still keep their distance from them after a while. And I, I think um, th- this obviously has, uh, you know, multiple uh, parts to it. I mean, one is that someone would have to be willing to offer him another job. Mm-hmm. But I think in order for him to actually be able to take another job and for a fan base uh, and a university to be okay with it, um, he's going to have a lot of talking that he needs to do publicly, uh, explaining certain things and, um, and, and being able to, I think in, 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 well, look, I let I me, mean, let's be honest. I, I, I don't think if he's, if he's not willing, I apologize for my dog going nuts, uh, in the background. He, uh, that's okay. he, he's, he's, he's looking at chipmunks and that's what uh, some dogs do. They, they just hate chipmunks. Um, but you know, I think, I, I think that there's been enough that's come out with this, um, that he has to be willing to accept some sort of responsibility uh, for what he did and own up to it. And uh, there's just there are too many accounts from players uh, that are that are stating otherwise. And I don't think there's any chance of him getting back into it if he if he doesn't on on some level um, you know accept that and be willing to do that. 
Brad, the other big off-the-field news uh, this week was Oklahoma State. You had Mike Gundy wearing that One American News Network t-shirt, and then we had a Chuba Hubbard's response on Twitter, uh, which really called out his head coach. It, it was pretty dramatic how it, uh, how it went down. Um, part of me was surprised that Chuba didn't just text his coach one-on-one and, and say he went straight to Twitter, but he's an outspoken guy. And uh, their response that night uh, I-, I thought was good. Um, it was weird to me that Mike Gundy didn't apologize right off the bat. He eventually got around to it. But do you have a, a response to what has gone down at Oklahoma State here in the past about four days or so? Yeah, I think it's you know it's kind of an extension of what we saw at Iowa. And like I said, this is this is the new norm. I think that the players now recognize that um, not only do they have a voice, uh, but there there are certain issues that they're going to have a lot of support. You know, when it when it comes to those and speaking out, uh, you know, on these issues and, you know, certainly um, anything that that has to do with with race and uh, the way that they're treated because of skin color, that that's going to fall into that category where if, you know, if, if there are certain things that aren't being done the right way or certain attitudes are, are being allowed to exist within a program, People are going to be called out for it, and uh, I, I think I think there's a lot of good in that. I mean, you can certainly see the the possibility that uh, uh, there could be a lot of trouble come from it. You know, if you have just a, a couple of disgruntled players that decide that they're going to, you know, that they're going to be upset for some reason, and that they're going to, you know, try to push back on something. But I think if there's a if there's a larger let's put it this way, it if the issue is legitimate, it's not going to be just two guys, you know, or one guy, it, it, it's going to be a, a whole lot of them. And, and the teammates are going to fall in line, no matter what their skin color is, they're going to fall in line. Uh, if there is something going on that needs to be fixed and it needs to be addressed. And, and I, I think that that's a good thing that the players recognize that look, they, their role is no longer to just sit there and accept things because, you know, someone makes, four million dollars a year and they're not getting paid anything and so therefore they just got to kind of go along with the program um that uh, they they have some power and uh and, it, and it's it's not just related to this you know there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come up uh, in the near future re- you know regarding the name image and likeness um which is a completely different topic i don't even want to equate the two um but there are just so many things that have developed here recently where players realize that they have more leverage than they ever have before, and they have the ability to create change uh, in areas where they see the need for change. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be successful every time um, that they ask for change, um, but at the very least, it's a good thing that they realize that they can ask for it uh, as opposed to just needing to remain silent. We're talking with Brad Edwards here on ESPN Lincoln Hale Varsity Radio. Brad is the ESPN College Football Insider, and he's an analyst for uh, the College Game Day on ESPN Radio. Brad, I want to move to the news that just broke uh, about 15 minutes ago, and that is that the Division One Council has approved the college football preseason model. It's kind of a, a mini-camp model. It takes inspiration from the NFL uh, when you look at it. Uh, part of it is that from July 24th through August 6th, they can players can participate in 20 hours of athletically related activities per week. That's uh, in the weight room and walkthroughs and then in meetings, team meetings. What do you think of this return to play model that the NCAA has now passed and uh, approved? Yeah, I, I think the big question is going to be whether those two weeks you're talking about where now this is, this is what didn't previously exist leading up to the start of 
uh, of what, what typically would have began, you know, or been the beginning of, of you know, August practice, um, is the opportunity to have, like you said, these meetings, to be able to have walkthroughs. Now, they're obviously not out there in pads, um, but, but there is an opportunity to kind of study some film, uh, to be able to, you know, to, to, as it says, walk through some things on the practice field. Not for very long, though. And I'm not sure it's enough, to tell you the truth. I mean, I, I, I get how they, they don't want to, you know, have a full-fledged month and a half uh, mini camp or whatever it is that you might call it if, it if it came to that. But at the same time, you've got a lot of schools that completely miss spring practice. And, and that's time that I don't think is going to be completely made up for by, by these two weeks, even though you can do a little bit more than you ever could before. Uh, I don't think it completely offsets missing spring practice. And so I, I think as, as uh, we may have discussed a, a week or two earlier on this show, that I think there's going to be a premium on uh, not only you know, when, when it comes to the first few weeks of the season, you know, like maybe the first three weeks or so. I think the, the programs that got – uh, some spring practice in, and then the ones that did the best job of guys staying in shape, you know, throughout the the quarantine and before they were able to get back on campus, that those teams might have a little bit of an advantage in the first three weeks of the season because I, I do think it's going to take a little bit longer than normal uh, for everyone to get back into the spot that they they typically would have been in week one, and so um, you know, it's just it, I, I don't know that it's it's really going to be that easy to predict coming out of the gate, but I think we probably will see some, some results in the first few weeks of the season that we could look back on later and say, you know what, that team, that team was really hurt by not having spring practice. And, uh, you know, after, you know, the first month of the season, they really turned it on, but you know what, if they lose two games in the, in the first month, uh, it's probably not going to, probably not going to matter. And it will be interesting to see whether the selection committee, ever gets in discussions about things like that. If you, if you see some sort of pattern of some teams being slow out of the gate because of just the, you know, the, the drastic change in circumstances given everything that's happened this year. And if, uh, if they lose some games early, will they be forgiven for, uh, forgiven for those losses more than they typically would be in a, in a normal season? Brad, back first hour, we discussed Nebraska's defenses over the past decade and how it's struggled to adjust to the Big Ten. But with this weird offseason, do you think that defenses could have an advantage over offenses for the first couple weeks of the season? I mean, offenses are so built on rhythm and connection and, and having that connection between receivers and quarterbacks and between offensive linemen. Does that put them at a disadvantage for I mean, the non-conference schedule? Maybe for the non-conference, you know, it's it's often said that when when teams start back practicing, you know, that the defense is ahead of the offense, and I think what you said is the reason, which is that uh, defense, while it's not completely physical, obviously there's a lot of you know a lot of thought that has to go into it and and uh, making reads more so. I mean, defenses are more complex than they were uh, previously, mm-hmm. but because there's so much of that involved with the offenses, that it, it is maybe easier for the defenses right out of the gate than it is the offenses. And, and yeah, so while I don't know that it would necessarily translate into the conference portion of the schedule, um, because, you know, you've got a few weeks under your belt by the time you get there. Uh, but, for, you know, for the teams that maybe the rare ones that open with a conference game or have a conference game in the first couple of weeks of the season, it could be a very big deal or, or even for those, those non-conference games. You know, we, we, 
we saw this um, a lot, actually, in the, the BCS era, back when you know, you'd have your conference championship games played the first weekend of December, and then there'd be about a month off, and then you'd have a national championship game. And, and it, after that layoff, a lot of times, uh, even when you'd get two pretty good offensive teams together, it would be a slow start to the game. You know, the defenses would have the advantage early, and sometimes it would even carry over for most of four quarters. And so uh, th- there is something to that, and uh, I, just, I just don't know if, if it was going to last for more than a few weeks. So if, you, if your defense isn't that good, it, it's, it's going to catch up to you. Um, but, but I think if you're, if you're not a great defensive team, if you have to play a, a great offense, better to get them week one or two than to get them week nine or ten. That's what's going to make this season fun is I think we don't really know what to expect whenever teams are going to find their rhythm. F teams are going to enter the season without a rhythm or if maybe maybe this uh, this mini camp will help the teams out and they'll be more in rhythm than a normal season. I guess we don't know, but Vegas is still trying to predict it. They released uh, their updated Big Ten odds today. No surprise, Ohio State is at the top of the Big Ten odds. Uh, I mean, they're returning a lot of talent, uh, especially on offense, and uh, they're the by far and away the favorites to win the Big Ten, right behind them, both at 7-1 to odds, Penn State and Wisconsin. Behind Penn State and Wisconsin at 16-1 to odds, we have Michigan and Minnesota. Behind them, Nebraska at 30-1, to and then Iowa 50-1. to And Nebraska seems high there, in my opinion. Maybe just because Vegas knows that the Husker fans will still bet on the Huskers. Uh, but what do you think of those odds from Vegas? Yeah, you, I think you kind of hit on something there, which is that when it, when it comes to Vegas, uh, part of the game for them, it's not just simply, okay, what do we think is most likely to happen? It's where is the money most likely to come in? And which, you know, which teams are you always going to get money on? And, uh, look, if there's a, there's a team that is typically going to have a lot of people who are going to want to bet on them, um, if, if you can decrease the odds on those teams, uh, make them, or I guess increase, depending on how you want to look at it, you know, make them uh, more friendly if you want to draw in money from those fans. If you have a lot of confidence that they're not going to win and you want to get more of their money, you go that direction. Or if you want to protect yourself, you know, against the, all the, the tickets you're going to have out there in the event that the team does surprise everyone and have a great season, you know, you, 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 go, uh, you go with the odds in the other direction. And so you, you could be getting either of those with Nebraska. Both of those would be in play for a team like them. It is, you know what? I'd say this: if I was going to roll the dice uh, on a on a long shot, I'd be much more willing to do it in the Big Ten West than I would be in the East, because Ohio State has such a talent advantage on everyone else. Even though Penn State and Michigan still have really good talent, they're not at Ohio State's level. I don't think the talent gap between Wisconsin and everyone else in that division is as big as it is on the other side. And so um, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take a chance on a long shot or an underdog, uh, it's going to be the one that's going up against the favorite that, that doesn't have as big of a talent advantage. And, and while I do expect a lot of good things from Wisconsin again this year, um, they're just, their roster is just not loaded with four and five star players the way that Ohio State is. So I think, I think they would be the easier team to go against if you want to so-called, uh, you know, find value in an, in an underdog. You heard it here from Brad Edwards. Put your money on Ohio State. I don't want to put words in your mouth. (laughs) Brad, appreciate the time. You got it. Take care. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. 
Back in on a Wednesday. Good stuff. You just heard from Brad Edwards. Ohio State, odds on favorite to win the Big Ten. He thinks it's smart. I think it's smart. I think if you, if you got to do something with your money, Ohio State, I mean, it's like betting Clemson to go win the conference every single year. Like, you're making a good bet. Even if they don't win it, they're going to be close. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Reminder that all of those segments can be found on the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page directly after the show. It's also available for streaming, hailvarsity.com, iTunes, uh, Google Play. It's up there. You can find it. I think we've had a pretty good show so far today. Mike Babcock checked in in the first hour, talked a little bit about the 2 season, those terrible jerseys you probably remember, a little bit about Jamal Lord. Uh, so it was fun to talk with Mike Babcock. I also talked with Mike Schuhart back in first hour, a little bit about some golf, what's going on out at Wilderness Ridge. And again, just heard from Brad Edwards. Good stuff there. Still got a jock doc coming up as we talk with uh, Dr. Brandon. Schmidt left us a little present um, before we hosted this show today and said, I got the 540 segment. I got my jock doc segment recorded. He knows Dr. Brandon uh, a little better than we do. So uh, Dr. Brandon and Chris coming back up here in about, let me do some quick math, 13 minutes. Hmm. Mm, not a math major, but that was quick. That was very quick. But this is the segment that we are we are inviting you to call in. Give us your thoughts. I know Damon and I both have some thoughts on this. We were talking a little bit before the show, but you can give us a call 402-466-3776 or 1-800-825-5865. The question is, is baseball going to fall off if they don't play this season? That's a big question. I mean, baseball's worth a lot of money. It's as simple as that. Everyone knows baseball. I mean, it, it's the king of summer. Baseball is America's pastime. It's the sport of summer. But if they don't play the season this year, I mean, uh, they're going to be losing fans. I think they're going to be losing interest from the younger generation. I mean, the, the younger kids who love playing baseball play it for the love of the game. It's, it's disheartening to see your favorite players saying, I don't want to play baseball. I know all the kids want to watch me, but I want my money. Or it's disheartening to hear the owners say, well, we don't want to have the kids have baseball this year because we don't want to play our players because we're going to lose money. It just it, it, having this fight over a game that is supposed to be about passion and fun. I mean, I mean that's what it is. It's a, it's a childhood game. It's simple to learn. Kids love it, and, and they want to be able to watch the best in the world play. I think you're going to lose fans if you don't have a baseball season this year, or even if it's a shortened season. Give us your thoughts on that, or you can also give us your thoughts on what sport could come up and replace it. I mean, yeah. PGA was when we talked with Mike Schuhart. Uh, Damon brought up esports. I think UFC could come up. Uh, I mean, even soccer. MLS is not the the king right now. It's a uh, pretty far behind. But I mean, German soccer has started up. English soccer has started up, and they're showing that there is a way forward. And that I mean, that's a kids' game too. Soccer is, and they found a way to give it to the kids over in Europe and the kids here in America. Soccer is growing in popularity here. It looks like we have a caller though. Yeah, we got Jim on the line. Jim, good to talk to you. What are your What are your thoughts on this? Does the MLB lose fans if they don't play this year? Well, I think the sport is going to be horse racing. Horse racing? Oh, betting. Is that it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's been this summer. That was the only thing on. You know, you keep saying that there was nothing on. Yeah. Horses were on earlier than anybody else, earlier in golf. And besides that, horses aren't political. They don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. Well, yeah, and I've been talking about sports betting all this show because it's what people love doing. And you've seen sports leagues everywhere start to bring back uh, sports betting. I I know the Broncos, I'm a Broncos fan, so I've I've heard about this. But earlier this week, they signed the first deal with a betting company. They signed with FanDuel to have, like, betting within their stadium. It's the way forward. But but horse racing, you think, is the one? 
Absolutely. My neighbor and I sat out here during the summer, COVID. Yeah, we, we were quarantined, right? With some beer and uh, TV and uh, betting horse races. Huh. Well, that's, I mean, have you ever, have you ever considered betting on esports? No, no, no. I, well, I'm way too old for that. But anyway, <laughs> no, that's just my comment. It's, uh, horse racing is great. Like I said, it's not political. Uh, nobody has to kneel or whatever. And uh, it's a great sport. I appreciate the call. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, you can call the show too if you have any thoughts. Horse racing was one I didn't even think about actually. Yeah, I, I yeah, it has been on too. I've seen it every time I go home. My grandpa's sitting on the couch watching the horse races, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's still going on. Like, maybe that does become more mainstream. And, and he makes a good point that sports right now is so centered around sports betting. I mean, I know a lot of friends who don't even care about sports. They just like stay into it because they love the betting aspect of it. They love making money. I wonder. This is a, a new thought. You said baseball's the king of summer. I wonder if more Olympic sports start to come into maybe a more marketable, mainstream viewing kind of sphere. I know the Olympics are like the hugest thing when they're on. Do we see more biking, swimming, diving, stuff like that in the summer? Well, one I was looking online at what some of the top sports are that aren't baseball, and one that was a lot higher on the list than I expected was tennis. There's a lot of good American people playing tennis right now. You got the Williams twins. You got, uh, is it Gauff? I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. I admittedly am not the biggest tennis fan, but I was surprised how many American tennis fans there actually are. I forgot about tennis, honestly. I think tennis definitely has a good shot if the MLB does fall from grace, as we've been saying. They, they definitely can overtake that. The problem, I think, in attempting to, to overthrow baseball is just the brands that are in baseball. I mean, the Yankees alone are worth three times more than all of esports. Here's your fun fact. Esports are worth about $1.5 billion. The Yankees are worth over $4 billion alone. Just the Yankees. So you have the aspect of money. Is, that, is baseball too big to fail? I don't think so. I mean, you see what happened for the 94 strike. Um, I mean, you saw what happened to hockey whenever they had that bad season back in, was that 03, 04? Somewhere around there, early 2000s. They lost a lot of fans after they went on strike. Uh, it's... I'm not. Fans are going to be driven away from baseball. I just don't know if they're going to be driven away in large enough numbers that people are going to have to find a new sport. And I think another thing to think about when you're thinking about popularity of sports is that uh, belonging to a fan base of a certain team is the biggest thing about sports. That's that's why you follow sports is to follow your team. And I don't know if a sport that isn't a team sport could ever raise to the top of those rankings. The closest I see, um, we, we hit on esports earlier, but that's the closest I see when you look at the Twitch streamers like Ninja, um, who it's Tim something up in Omaha. Um, his name's slipping my mind. Tim the Tap Man, he lives in yeah. Omaha? I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure Tim lives in Omaha. Or at least he was born in Omaha. He has some connection to Omaha. Um, but he, I believe, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm pretty sure Tim was from Omaha when he started streaming. He may have moved somewhere else now. Um, but it's it's growing and popular there, and you have some very recognizable names. These people may be completely unfamiliar to some of our older audience, um, but for people of me and Damon's age, I mean, I know there's people that sit in front of me in my college classes that just sit there and watch Ninja or watch Tim the Tatman. They watch their favorite streamers like it's a sporting event that they can watch on their laptop. So it lacks betting. That's what it does lack right now. I don't see anyone betting on esports, especially like the traditional streamers, the, the guys that are big here. I know esports betting, uh, it occurs in some of the Asian countries where they have a lot of the League of Legends uh, tournaments and the uh, the Dota tournaments, 
which again, I'm probably going over some of our listeners' heads here by saying this, but it's it's a growing industry, and could it be the future with our generation? I don't know. I think our generation definitely will attach itself to it. I'm not sure how mainstream it'll. It's a really niche community, I would say, and that's. I feel like that's kind of where it's going to stay. But you have to be interested in video games, I think, to get your foot in the door to esports. You know, Big Cat from Barstool. Yes, he's had his streams during quarantine where he's just been taking an old video game, NCAA Football 14, and he created a coach in that game and is going up through the coaching ranks. Uh, has he won a national championship yet? I know he lost with Tennessee. I know that he lost like twice with Tennessee. Is bad, um, but he—that's what he's trying to do, and he has hundreds of thousands of people watching his stream every single time he goes on to go build this team. And it's, it's not a traditional esport, but that's what I think esports could become. Is it just could become something to, to fill in. I, I think esports that take traditional video game or traditional sports and make it a video game are probably the best way to become mainstream. Like I said earlier in the show that the NBA actually has the 2K League, which yeah. is like... The, they hold a draft. A, they hold a draft and everything. Their UNL is sponsoring a uh, Madden tournament coming up soon for UNL students to compete in and win a grand prize. I, th- I think... Definitely football, basketball, video games can and maybe eventually will kind of surpass traditional sports. Another interesting development from the past couple of weeks is that uh, is the UFC. UFC in July, they, they purchased an entire island uh, out in, I think, Abu Dhabi. So they have uh, an entire island out there and they're going to be hosting fights through the entire month of July. They have three different championship fights going on on July 11th. Um, so... Uh, I mean, that could be one. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to rack my my brain. UFC seems like the one that makes the most sense to me. Dana White's done a great job promoting that. Uh, I mean, you have people like Joe Rogan who talks about that on his podcast every single week. He loves MMA guys. Um, MMA, especially among the younger community, people my age, uh, can be successful. I mean, have you heard about this, the Fight Island that UFC is doing? Yeah, I've seen. I think it's a pretty cool idea. It's a really cool idea that they have a dedicated island just for fights. That they're going, so they're flying all these fighters out to Abu Dhabi, and they take them to this island, and it's where they fight. It's a it's a ring on the beach, and, and I mean they have like all the they have a, a tent kind of covering it. They have all the tables set up. They have pictures of it where it's it's legitimately going to be people fighting on a beach, streamed worldwide. You don't, I mean, it's not going to be the awkwardness of being in an op- or an empty arena. I think that's what's come from some of these sporting events is you watch like the soccer games and it's just so strange to see them in an open stadium, no fans, they have to pump in fake crowd noise. The, the UFC's taken in stride by opening their own island. And I, I think that kind of gives them some staying power I and mean, they, they've made national news. UFC's been in the news, but I think this quarantine has given people a chance to say, huh, maybe I should give the UFC a, a, a chance. I mean, three championship fights in one night on July 11th, that's UFC 251. Three championship fights in one night. They're all pretty big names in the UFC. And that's what the UFC is, is so great at doing is that they have so many names that they can promote. What do you think about boxing? Boxing used to be huge. It's not as huge anymore. What do you think? The, the thing with UFC and boxing is I think they, they are splitting the same demographic. I think you need, if you want one of these sports to overtake baseball, let's say, you need to have that demographic not be split up. Because I know fight fans who say, I can't watch UFC. It's too bloody. It's too brutal. I prefer boxing. People the other way around, there are UFC fans that say, what goes on in boxing? It's just guys bobbing and weaving for 12 rounds, and they get in a couple strikes, and then, oh, Floyd Mayweather's the winner. 
Oh, it doesn't even doesn't even matter. Whereas UFC, I mean, guys are getting rocked. They're getting back up. People are showing heart. It's it, it's so maybe it's the difference between the the older people and the younger people in this country of what you want to see. Where if you grew up with boxing, maybe you still want to watch boxing. But I know among the the younger generation, UFC is the much more popular sport. That's I mean that's proven by uh, by polls among the younger generation. That's proven among the people I know. I mean I have. It's pretty easy for me on a UFC fight night to go get eight friends who are willing to pitch in $10 to watch the UFC fights. I don't think I'd ever find people who would pitch in for boxing. Maybe UFC is the future. Fight Island, interesting idea. Got a Jock Doc coming up after the break. You'll hear from Schmitty. About, uh, about three minutes now, Jock Doc talking with Dr. Brandon. It's Hale Varsity presented by the Nebraska Lottery. He's in his 30s, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hale Varsity Radio. I got the body of a taut, preteen Swedish boy. Back with you, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Time for a Jock Doc Wednesday, Lincoln Orthopedic Center. Dr. Brandon Seifert with us. Dr. Brandon, got your running shoes on or your golfing shoes on? <laughs> got the running shoes on today, although it's a bit tough out there. Yeah, uh, bless your heart from uh, 90 degrees and beyond. You're uh, sweating for, for the rest of us, my friend. And, you know, football seasons, thankfully, it looks like it's around the corner. You have flare-ups in different states from uh, coronavirus you have differing takes per state on frequency of testing with some of the student athletes and and it's it's happened in in group of five schools it's happened at, at power five leagues and even uh, go down the list to, to some of the smaller colleges where athletics are a priority and there's a proud tradition in history you know what are some of the strategies moving forward that that are being discussed dr brandon with this 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 uncharted land of football season 2020 be it from the nfl to the nba to now you know potentially some college football this fall yeah you know that, that's exactly right chris you know definitely uncharted waters you know we've been so focused at our office just on managing the medical side of things how we're going to manage our office how you manage stuff at the hospital and now obviously we've, we've, we've got those things in place even though it seems like every week or two they keep changing now you start to take that into the sports realm, you know, especially from a sports medicine perspective. And we started, we have started to make some plans, you know, with some of our smaller colleges and high school teams about how we're going to approach, you know, this whole concept of the coronavirus world. The hard part is it is uncharted waters. I think the other thing that, you know, not just sports medicine, but just the COVID virus in particular is all the information, some of the misinformation that's out there, this whole concept of, you know, kind of new data comes out every day. A lot of it's contradictory in terms of what we've been doing. And so that's been kind of our biggest challenge is, you know, trying to learn in the short time we've dealt with this, what's going to be the right strategy, what's not. And so as we've tried to synthesize all this data, now we're trying to apply that to, you know, to a sports medicine realm and you know, kids getting back to college. Obviously, there's, there's the whole concept of kids going back to college, being in the dorms, being in the classroom. Now we're talking about kids, you know, the locker rooms, the weight room, competing against one another, you know, contact physical sports. How do you manage that? It makes it very challenging. I've had oh, two meetings so far with some of our colleges around just to kind of get some ideas 
and it's pretty amazing as I went through and even did just a literature search on this about, okay, what, what's everybody else doing? And it is all over the map. And I found five different kind of protocols for what people are doing. I think the you know, take-home point, most importantly, is we need some standardization, and we're working on that. And I think the, the National Athletic Trainers Association at some point is going to come out with a nice kind of protocol that at least to standardize it, Sure, not all that's going to be right, but at least, at least if we can standardize it, that would be the key. Some highlights, some key points that I hear people throwing around that still are very debatable, and it's debatable not just in sports medicine, but COVID in general, is what do you do about testing? You know, that's probably the first thing. As you look at, you know, our big universities around the country, I think they've led the charge in that. They've basically said, you're going to be back on campus as an athlete, you're going to get tested. Right now, I think that's a good strategy. I would support that. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm pushing for that at our universities and colleges we cover. Obviously, the hard part about it is logistically, how do you do that? Uh, small colleges are, are going to have a hard time financially trying to, to figure that out. And so finding a way to logistically do that, we're, we're throwing out some ideas for that. So that's kind of the first thing. Then you start looking at the other aspect of it, you know, this big debate about do we wear masks, do we not wear masks, who should wear masks, all of that. So we're kind of hashing through that and trying to figure out how we're going to do that. Um, you know, I think right now, obviously, what we've settled upon is if you're working out, you can't hardly wear a mask when you work out, although you could, but that kind of defeats the purpose of, of college sports. And so at this point, you know, the athletes, when they're working out, they're practicing, they're not going to have masks on. Then the debate comes, well, what does coach do? What do the coaches do? It's obviously hard to coach and yell and get after players and you have your mask on, but that's something that's up for debate about when should coach wear a mask. Then the question about what about when you're in team meetings? Well, that probably is a space you should think about wearing a, wearing a mask. Again, these are all debatable things that we're throwing out there right now. But outside of that, those are some of the strategy. The other things, you know, you worry about the locker room time, you know, the time spent where, you know, it's hard to social distance in a locker room. So how do you kind of manage that? Do you have them shower at the locker room? Do you have them shower back in their dorms? And then, obviously, there's the whole kind of dorm life concept. It's, it's hard to social social distance inside a dorm. And so, again, these are things that even the regular universities are, are having that debate about. So those are kind of the big factors. The other factor is, you know, what do you do about an athlete that does test positive? Let's say an athlete tests positive during the season. Um, are we doing a 10-day quarantine, a two-week quarantine, a three-week quarantine? And does that mean they isolate, you know, off campus in an apartment? Can they isolate in their own dorm room and somebody else moves out? So that's, that's another concept. Uh, the other concept is is how are athletes going to handle if they do have some symptoms from you know coronavirus coming back off of that? What do they look like as an athlete? How long does it take to recover? Those are some other things that you know we're trying to lay out some contingency plans for. And so those are you know some of the ideas that are out there that obviously are up for a lot of debate, and, and we're having those now. Dr. Brandon Seifert's with us, Lincoln Orthopedic Center at Jock Doc Wednesday. We're talking uh, the plan of action with uh, COVID-19, with football season. Is there a right number? I mean, if, if push comes to shove, expense-wise, it's there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we're talking 100 uh, to 300. Is that kind of the range of, of testing cost per test? And it can be more expensive. It can be less expensive. But is a test every three days would that be preventative? Would that be would that be the the right move? Or is it, hey, if you're not feeling right, even if you think it's just allergies, please come see us. Let's get you tested. Do you go that route? I know there's not a right answer, but is there uh, kind of a, a lean you may have with, uh, all right, what, what makes the most sense when it comes to testing? Yeah, you know, that, that first question, Chris, just about, you know, cost. And, you know, fortunately, it's come down quite a bit. There, there is a range, absolutely. Um, you know, it depends. The biggest kind of cost difference is, is basically, 
it's based upon you know, how quickly do you want to know. Um, obviously, these kind of rapid tests know within a couple hours. Uh, I think two hours is the shortest one I know of. There might even be one that's even more rapid than that now, but that's probably a three or $400 test, if not more. Uh, but a basic one that may take a day or two to come back, potentially three days to come back, would be probably a $50 test. Um, I would assume that probably is going to be cut in half cost-wise in the next probably month or two, most likely, as more of these tests come out. And so from a cost cost perspective, you could find ways that would be re- you know reasonable. Um, but then the other question becomes, yeah, okay, so if you do that, and it is kind of nice to do that to test everybody, have a baseline going into this. Um, then what you do is, yeah, if somebody starts having symptoms, those kinds of things, it's going to be tough. I mean, what is fall season? Well, fall has a ton of allergies, especially in Nebraska and ragweed, and, you know, what does that look like versus COVID? Um, you know, if it was up to me at this point, you know, just knowing how contagious this can be, um, again, it, it's hard to say how much of us have been exposed. I'm sure a good portion of us have been exposed already. We don't have data to prove that. It's just you know, anecdotal. Uh, but basically, I think if somebody's starting to have symptoms, I think the right thing, at least right now, would be to test them and get them isolated to do your best to try to prevent that spread. Because we know that it, it's going to impact, you know, people differently. I mean, obviously, our vulnerable population, there's a chance they could come into contact with our athletes. That's been kind of the big scare now. The other, the other scare, too, is, you know, you look around the country and there are there are random cases of really young, healthy, normal people who have either died from COVID or are really struggling with COVID. There, there's, you know, things here in this state that you'd be surprised to know the age of some of these folks who have struggled. So it is real. You don't want to ignore it. Um, and so that would be my opinion is trying your best to try to isolate as best you can. So I would I would test them if they have symptoms. Dr. Brandon, thanks for a few minutes today. You bet, Chris. You guys take care. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. One last time on a Wednesday, it's Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Elijah Herbal and Damon Barr filling in for Chris. Chris, back tomorrow. If you missed him, he will be back tomorrow, Friday, and for the Saturday show, we'll hear how he did in that golf tournament. I know that uh, I have a whole bunch of money down on whether or not he was above par or not, uh, so we'll see. <laughs> actually, I gotta, we should probably put that down before. I don't actually have money down, but maybe got to find somebody. Maybe one of my roommates? I don't know. They like betting. We'll see. Good show today, though. We had Mike Babcock and Mike Schuhart back in the first hour. Good uh, talk with Brad Edwards here at the beginning of hour two. And the Jock Doc there at 540 again. Podcast will be available after the show. That is at Hale Varsity at ESPN Lincoln, iTunes, Google Play. And then you can also just look up the ESPN Lincoln Twitter page. We'll have a couple of those interviews posted for you after the show. Damon, I feel like we're getting better at this whole thing of filling in for Chris. Today's show feel like went pretty fast. Yeah, I feel like it's it's much less anxiety induced and it's much more just we're going with the flow like a regular old show. And it's nice. You, you had the, the week off last week, so you're getting to sit in on a Wednesday. You're getting some extra hours this week. You want the Saturday morning show this week? Yeah, buddy? sure. I'll be I'll bright and <laughs> early. Bright and early. Right. I've just learned to, to drink the coffee and it's not too bad to wake up at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. It was a little bit of, of you getting used to, but I mean, I'm waking up talking Husker sports for everyone. So what is, I mean, that's what I'm going to do anyway when I wake up in the morning. I'm going to look up. I don't that's know. usually how I spend Saturday mornings. Yeah. So. I, I find some Husker news on Twitter. Maybe watch some old games. There's not much to do on Saturday. So it's fun to talk 
Husker Football Saturday mornings. Again, it's that Saturday morning show for our local listeners, 7 to 9 on Saturday. One last time before we go, I just want to remind you about our friends over at West Blue Realty. If you're looking to make a move in 2020, give the real estate professionals at West Blue Realty a call today. I think I messed it up first hour. I said in 2019. It's, it's, we've, I just wish it wasn't 2020 anymore. But if you're looking to make a move in 2020, you need to give the real estate professionals over at West Blue Realty a call today. They specialize in residential home sales in Lincoln and the surrounding communities. And they'll help make your, uh, help make your next move a smooth one. For a limited time only, mention Hale Varsity and West Blue Realty will provide you with up to $1,000 upon the closing of your next home purchase. Call Tom Luby or Kelly Hofschneider for more details. It pays to work with West Blue Realty, westbluerealty.com. Damon, before we go, looks like about what, about a minute and a half left. Any big plans for tonight, tomorrow? Uh, tonight, thinking about going up to some lake. I don't know. Plans are falling through. Might go frolfing. Who knows? It, it, so for the past like week now and into next week, I've had like five friends turn 21. So every single day it's wake up, recover, and then oh, i got to go celebrate another friend turning 21, which I mean, like it's good for them. They're turning 21. I, I want to, to go spend that, that day with them because we made it like we made it to 21. It's been a while, um, long time coming, but at the same time, it's just, it's turning into a, a toll on my body. <laughs> I'm not even that old yet. I'm 21. I'm going on one of those, uh, the bike tours. But oh, I hit one of those Monday, actually, with my friend who just turned 21. So yeah. that's what I was going to say. I got to go hit the bars again tonight, 21. I just don't have to hit the bars if I don't want to. It depends how busy they are. If they look busy, I'll stay away. But on Monday night, I hit one of those bike tours. Great time. Uh, what's the occasion? Uh, my cousin turning 21. See, that's awesome because it's cheaper. Because you get to bring your own beer. That's the best part. You get to bring your own, and instead of spending like 30 bucks, you're spending like 5 $6. That's the way to go. You get a like, free ride around Lincoln. It's not, the pedaling isn't too bad. If it's nice weather, it's a good time. Recommend that one a lot. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Hale Varsity today with us. Elijah Herbal and Damon Barber sitting in for Chris today. Chris, back tomorrow. As we said, we'll hear how we did in that golf tournament. Thanks. Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery.